on unity. Pastor Keenan named it aptly university. The unity of the body is paramount and imperative for the hope of a city. If we're going to be united, we have to know who we're united against. We have to know who we're united under, but not just who we're united under. We have to know who we are united against. We all get to get up here and we like to shout and scream and yell and praise Jesus. We know we're united under Jesus, but I think a lot of the problem with the church is that we forget who we're united against. I heard a pastor sit in front of his church one day and he said, church, I have a question for you. Who's our biggest competition in this city? And people shouted out, such and such church, such and such church, such and such church. And he goes, and that's my concern. The biggest competition that we have in this city is the devil, not another believer. And if we don't know who it is we're united against, it doesn't matter who it is that we think we're united under because Jesus came to seek and save the lost so that everyone would go to heaven. He established the church we have to know who we're united against. Philippians chapter two, verses one through four says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, do what? like five of us. Do what? Nothing. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Pastor Keenan hit on that word heavy last week, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Every single word in that verse is a choice. It's a choice you and I get to make. Because at the very beginning it says, therefore, if. That two-letter word carries with it so much significance for you and I on a daily basis. If you and I get up every day and choose to apply the word of God into our life, then we'll get to see the power of God move through our life. But if every day we wake up and choose to do what we want to do and live in the flesh, we will forfeit the power of God in our life on a daily basis. We need to be hard to offend and quick to forgive. Now, I'm gonna say this at the very beginning of the sermon because I promise you I'm gonna offend somebody tonight. And I didn't call you here to offend you and I sure hope I don't offend you. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm just gonna say it right now. We need to be hard to offend and quick to forgive. We need to have thick skin and soft hearts, not hard hearts and thin skin. A lot of us have it backwards. We need to have thick skin, soft hearts. When Christians are hard to offend, they are more open to being used by God to reach hurting people. The function of the church is to be light, the light of Jesus in a dark world. When the church tries to function separately, individually, and with selfish motive, the light is weak, it's short-sighted, and it's unable to make an impact on darkness that God desires. But when the church comes together in unity with one goal, under one vision, with one purpose, the darkness has no place. Christian, can I tell you something? You were never meant to walk this life called Christianity alone. You were never meant to walk alone. You were never meant to be divided. You were never meant to be segregated from a body. 
That's why Hebrews says not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you know how you develop a habit? You do it over a long period of time, which means I'm not coming to church this week. I'm a little tired. I'm a little weak. I'm a little sore. I'm not coming tonight. I'll go next week. And guess what happens next week? The same thing that happened the week before. You're still tired. You're still worn out. You're still exhausted. You know why? Because you haven't had a Sabbath. Sorry, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just saying it with passion. You haven't had a Sabbath. There's a commandment. It's one of them. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. You know why you're so tired? Because we haven't taken a minute to step back and to refresh and renew. A Sabbath isn't a time for you to sit and watch Sports Center all day long, which there's nothing wrong with that. But there's, that's not what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath is to be refilled, rejuvenated, renewed, refreshed, so you can receive. When we're isolated, we become weak. We have to walk with a common purpose against a common enemy. That enemy is not each other or other churches. You know what I believe? Why Christians end up fighting each other and bickering with each other and being divided? You know what I believe? That so many Christians end up fighting and bickering with each other. This is my opinion. This is a personal opinion. I'm not wrong, but this is my opinion. Because we have lost our vision we have taken our attention off our enemy and allowed petty, insignificant arguments to become the focus of our attention. We have started believing that living our best life now matters more than dying to self, picking up our cross, and following Jesus. We've started believing, I'm going to say that one more time, that living our best life now matters more than dying to ourself, picking up our cross, and following Jesus. Some people think that Christians have lost their fight. I was on a campus, high school campus in Elk Grove about eight and a half years ago. Consumedness High School. And I was walking through the quad with another youth pastor. And we're walking from the campus club, from the Christian club. We just got done sharing, and we had just had Christian club, which, you know, th those, are, those are different. They're a little different. But we just had Christian club, and a student walks up to us, totally normal-looking kid, walks up and goes, hey, are you two the pastors that just spoke at that club? And I said, we are. He goes, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm one of the Satanists in the city. And he said, I just want to tell you why we're more powerful than you are. Because every morning at 3 a.m., we go stand around a giant oak tree in the middle of the field behind the school, and we pray to our God. And the reason that we're more powerful is because we actually believe in the God we pray to. This is a Satanist talking to a youth pastor at a public high school campus. This kid was 16 years old. Some people think that Christians have lost their fight. Christians haven't lost their fight. We have plenty of fight. We fight with each other all the time. The issue isn't our amount of fight. The issue is the direction of our attention. The issue isn't that we don't know how to fight anymore. The issue isn't that we can't fight. The issue is that we don't know how to fight. The issue is, is that we're fighting the wrong thing. We got plenty of fight in us. You ever sat and punched a wall? Just go punch a wall, see what happens to the wall, and then watch what happens to you. You're gonna get worn out before that wall comes down. The issue is, is that we're fighting the wrong things. We're fighting over the wrong things. We're fighting with the wrong people. We haven't lost our fight. Our attention's in the wrong direction. When we lose our unity in the church, our fight gets directed at each other instead of at our enemy. We fight over preferences. We fight over dress code. We fight over preaching styles and money, etc., etc. Our attention 
is on the way things, the way we want things to be instead of the way Jesus has created them to be. There's a perfect example of this. David and his brother. David and his brother are standing at the battle lines and there's a giant, the way I picture this in my mind, there's a huge line of Israelites and on the other side of the valley is a huge line of Philistines and in front of the Philistines is this giant called Goliath from Gath. And David comes walking up to the battle lines and he stands next to the one guy in all of the battle lines that he thinks is going to be there to help him, protect him, support him, back him up, his brother Eliab. And he walks up and he stands shoulder to shoulder. Can you imagine a little brother sitting next to his older brother, shoulder to shoulder going, mm, this is my brother. I'm here. I got his back. He's got mine. And David walks up and goes, hey, who is this giant defying the army of the living God? And Eliab, his older brother, looks at him and goes, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're so conceited. You're just here because you want to watch the fight. Oh, and by the way, who did you leave those few sheep with back in the wilderness, David? See, David had just been anointed the king of Israel by Samuel. Eliab wasn't. What happened was Eliab's attention wasn't on his enemy. Eliab's attention was on the offense that he was carrying from a couple weeks earlier when his younger brother was anointed the king and he wasn't. He was carrying that into a battle. And so because he was carrying the offense that he wasn't anointed into a battle, he missed an opportunity to show how powerful God could be. Because his attention wasn't in the right direction, he missed an opportunity to fight a giant. But what happens to David? David's out with the sheep. He gets a call from his dad. Yes, dad, what can I do? I need you to take some cheese to your brothers in the front lines. Okay, dad. Okay, pop, no problem. I'll get somebody to wash the sheep. I'll get up early in the morning. I'll take the cheese to the battle line. And I hear this dude shouting defiance to the army and the living God. And I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to ask him, what's this guy doing? Why did David hear the giant and his brother didn't? Because David's attention was pointed in the right direction. So he was able to face the giant that everybody else was ignoring because they couldn't see it. We learned two things. We learned two things here from David and Eliab. When your attention is on the right thing, you won't miss opportunities that God has given you to show his greatness and you will kill giants. But the other thing we learned from his brother Eliab, when your attention is directed in the wrong place because you carry an offense at your brother, you will miss every opportunity to kill giants in front of you. Don't carry offense, it robs you of opportunity. The issue is in our fight. We have plenty of fight. We got plenty of fight in us. The issue is where we're pointing our fight. See, if I was the devil and I wanted to stop a church from being limitlessly loving, limitlessly giving, limitlessly caring in a community, I wouldn't attack the church. I would get the church to attack itself. I would point out the divides and the cracks the insecurities, the shortcomings, the theological differences and minor disagreements, and I would sit back and watch as a church stalls out in its calling so it can fight over things that carry no authority or power in the spiritual realm. Oh, Holy Spirit, come on. The function of the devil is to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Now I wanna say this again. 
because we have to know who it is we're fighting against and we gotta know his plan so we know how to combat it. The devil is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And tonight I wanna talk about those three things as it pertains to our church and if we're not unified, what's gonna happen to our church? Because the devil is proactively trying to steal, kill, and destroy this church. He's here to steal our identity. In Matthew chapter four, we see that Jesus has just been baptized by John. And scripture says that he is led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In verse three, Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Then later in verse five, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. You see, right before Jesus had been led into the wilderness, the Bible says, the sky opened up and the voice of God said, now let's just stop there for a second. If the sky opened up and all of a sudden you hear the voice of God, which was apparently clearly God, don't you think you would have a bit of a freak out moment? But Jesus is being baptized. The sky opens up. A voice says what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why did God split the sky and say it himself? Because he didn't want to leave any doubt in anybody's mind who it was that Jesus was. You can question who Jesus is. God made it very clear who he thinks Jesus is, who he says Jesus is. Can I tell you something? He has some things to say about you too. He claims you too. He calls you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart by him. That's who he calls you. You got to know who you are. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The devil wasn't trying to get Jesus to turn stones into bread or to go base jumping off the temple. He was questioning who the father had just said he was. If you are the son of God, it had nothing to do with bread. It had nothing to do with jumping off the temple. It had everything to do with the question that came before the action. If you are the son of God. This is the real scheme of the deceiver. We've been told a lie that the devil wants to get us to sin, but his real goal is to get us to question our identity because who you are will define what you do. If he can get you to believe that you're a sinner, then you will sin. But if you know who you are, who you've been created to be, who God has said you are, then that is what you will walk in. But if you believe what the devil says you are, you'll be that. When you know who God says you are, you'll walk in that. And the devil's trying to steal our identity so that we can't walk in the identity God has given us. Why? Because when we walk in the identity that God has given us, there's authority that only we get to walk in. There's an authority in this church that only this church has in this city. But if we don't walk in the identity that God has given us, we won't ever walk in that authority. So the devil wants to steal our identity. This is limitless church. That's the name on the front. But there's an identity that we walk with. Can I tell you what I love about our church and what I love about our pastor? That man walks in faith. I haven't met other pastors who walk like this. You know why? He said it well. I'll never forget this. We were sitting in your office two weeks ago. You said, I didn't call myself to this. God called me to this. So it's on him. I'm good. I just got to be obedient. (laughs) It's not on me. It's on him. I just got to be obedient. And I went, wow, that is so freeing. (laughs) I pray and then I go to bed. I don't stay up all night stressing about where money's going to come from. God's got it according to his riches and glory. Not according to the money that I can raise and gather and scrape together according to his riches and glory. That's the identity that we walk in. Yeah. 
When you know who God says you are, you won't listen to the lies of the enemy. You won't take the time to hear the gossip about another person, and you won't care about the opinions of people because you know who God says you are. See, I believe why so many Christians are disconnected from the church is because we become far too comfortable with a pastor or a preacher or a mentor telling us where we fit and where we belong instead of going to the author of life and allowing him to breathe purpose into our hearts. Can I tell you tonight, people didn't call you, they didn't create you, they didn't breathe life into you, people didn't put you together, so why do we let people tell us where we belong? Quit allowing the devil to question your identity. We know who the devil is. He's the father of all what? He's the father of all lies. So if we know who the devil is, why do we let him tell us who we are? You can pretty much guarantee anything comes out of his mouth is a lie. And I'm telling you this right now from experience. Last night at 6.45, I was sitting in my chair and I called my pastor and I said, you need to pray for me. I called my dad and I said, you need to pray for me. My dad said, why? I said, the devil's messing with my mind. I'm getting attacked and my dad dropped this bomb on me. He said, spiritual warfare only takes place over the most valuable battlefields. Can I tell you why this church is moving? Because there's spiritual warfare that takes place constantly and we are praying because we know our identity. He didn't create He didn't create us to be a church who walks divided. He created us to be a church who walks united. The second thing the devil comes to do is kill our unity. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. You know the devil knows scripture better than every one of us does? And I promise you, if Jesus said it, the devil knows it. So these are the words of Jesus. Every house divided against itself can't stand. The devil goes, you said it. I'm going to try and divide your house. When the unity of a church is killed, the hope of a city is snuffed out. When unity is absent, there can be no progress. A house divided against itself cannot stand, it will not succeed, and it has no authority. If the devil can find a way to kill our unity, he will have found a way to rob us of our authority. He says, if I can make politics more important than prayer, then they won't be united. I pray for the day that we as a church are no more for what we love than what we're against. To be a church that refuses to put its its political ideals before its practical purpose. I'm about to. Can I make this comment too? I'm gonna break it down. This is where I might step on some toes. The Bible was written far before the Constitution. And a church was established long before a political party. So let's make sure that we as believers are putting priority on eternal matters. The only thing that you and I can take into our eternity, come here, Judah. He's light. That wasn't impressive. (laughs) This isn't in my notes. The only thing, the only thing that is eternal in this room, right here, you, me, that's it. We're the only things on planet Earth that carry eternal value. Us. You and me, we're it. 
So if we would focus, put our attention, time, energy, effort, money, resource into things that carry eternal value, can you imagine the impact we would have in a city? When we'll put aside opinion and walk in our power, the, the eternal. We can take with us something into eternity. This is my son, Judah. He's nine. He's a little stud. If we will put aside preference and walk in power, we will have an eternal impact in a city. The devil says, if I can make their theology what they identify with, then they will become too religious to love the lost. Man, I understand. I get it. It's hard. It's hard to love on people who look, smell, sound, act different. I get it. It's tough. But they carry eternal value. Can I tell you, we don't come do this so we can get a service done. We come here to take care of people. I'm not the first one to say it, and I promise you it won't be the last time you hear it. The church isn't a museum for good people. It's a hospital for broken people. That's what this church is here for. I'm not the first to say it, but I believe it. This church exists for broken, hurting people. I'm one of them. I don't stand on this pulpit as someone who's been put together. I stand on this pulpit as someone who's been torn apart and beat up by life, but I serve a God who has a firm foundation. The devil says, if I can make their comfort and their convenience paramount, then I will have eliminated their heart for evangelism. I haven't been called to a life of comfort or convenience. I don't know about you, but I have not been called to a life of comfort or convenience. I have been called to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything, everything Jesus commanded us in this book, and to remind them that he is with us to the very end of the age. That's what I've been called to do. I haven't been called to a life of comfort and convenience. I've been called to a life of go. The devil says, if I can feed their insecurities by pointing out other people's shortcomings, then I will have blinded them to the gift that is their diversity. It is the diversity of this church that makes it so strong. We have people from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds and families. We have different gifts and talents, anointings and spiritual gifts. It's the diversity of this church that makes it so powerful. The goal is unity, not uniformity. I said that earlier, somebody liked that. I'm gonna say that one more time. The goal is unity, not uniformity. We don't want everybody to look the same, talk the same, sound the same, sing the same, praise God, because my voice is not gifted like that. Or even think the same. We want our diversity to bring unity, not uniformity. Pastor Ryan, I don't quite understand. Well, why don't you just take a look at Jesus and the 12 people that he called to follow him? <laughs> look at the diversity that Jesus hung out with every single day. You had fishermen, you had tax collectors, you had doctors, you had a zealot who was proactively trying to kill Romans. You had all this diversity hanging out with Jesus all the time. Jesus didn't want uniformity. He wanted unity. And when those 12 men came together, Unified in their faith in Jesus and obedience to his commands, Acts chapter 17, verse 6 says, these men turned the world upside down. Now that's powerful. These men have turned the world upside down. 
Not because they were different, but because they were united. One heart, one goal, one mind. The devil wants us to think our differences divide us, but God wants them to be what empowers us so we can be united. Titus chapter three, verse nine through 11 says this. But avoid, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such, a person, that su- that such people are warped and sinful. They're self-condemned. The third thing the devil wants to do is destroy our spiritual authority. Steal, kill, and destroy our spiritual authority. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 through 20. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I truly, truly I tell you, now again, Jesus is saying this. So when Jesus goes, truly, <laughs> it's not a lie. And he says, I tell you, those are the words of the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The very mouthpiece that spoke the universe into existence is getting ready to tell you something. You might want to hear it. Truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We don't gather together in the name of Jesus to argue. We gather together in the name of Jesus to agree. And Ruby said it. I'm going to say it twice. We don't gather together in the name of Jesus to bicker, argue, or disagree about a preference. We gather together in the name of Jesus to agree. This verse is a clear statement about the authority that spirit-filled believers have when we come together in prayer. Emphasis on spirit-filled. Church, we cannot lose our spiritual authority by becoming divided. When we come together in prayer, Jesus said it would be done for us by our Father in heaven. Let me just ask you this question. How many of us are coming together in prayer about the drug problem in our city? I drive through the city every week. I see him out there at the park. I'm going to go out there one of these days. I'm going to talk to him. But I need to pray. There's only authority when you pray. There's no authority in my words. There's only authority in the word of Jesus and there's authority in prayer. How many of us are coming together in prayer believing for favor and miracles as our pastor works to get a new building completed? How many of us are proactively praying on a daily basis for our new building? How many of us are praying on a daily basis in unity for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on our teenagers? I'm going to say it again. Spiritual battles only rage over valuable territory. That goes two ways. The devil knows what territory is valuable. The question is, do we know what what territory is valuable? Are we waging war over valuable territory? I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people. 
Are we waging war over the teenagers in our church? Can I tell you, we got some young people in this church who have been called by God. We need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to pour out in their life so they can walk in the authority that God has called them to. Our spiritual authority is all we have as a body of believers in this city. We cannot forfeit it any longer by allowing ourselves to be caught up in meaningless pursuits. The devil wants to destroy our spiritual authority because he knows that when we walk in it, he has to run from it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Scripture is not unclear about the purpose of the church. We have to be united. You have to know what the vision of a church is. The vision of the church is called the Great Commission. To go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just stop there. There's discipleship attached to that so we can equip people to go do it all over again somewhere else. The vision of this church is to reach our city with the Great Commission. Every description of the church points to diversity. Ours is no different. 